Hi everyone, welcome to the Seiko Musics podcast with me, Phil Seiko. It's episode 34 of the podcast, it's the 12th of May 22, and today we are looking at building a Christian worldview, part three, looking at the fall, the origins of evil. Hi folks, how are you doing? So today we are looking at the Building a Christian Worldview series, the next part of that. Um, I'm actually doing that uh, as part of the podcast or if you're interested, you can look at it on YouTube with all of the accompanying uh, slides on, on the screen and you can see that I'm creating a separate playlist just with sort of extracting that from the podcast and putting that up. So if you're interested, you can look at that alone or if you just want to follow the podcast and you'll get it as part of the podcast, then that's fine as well, one way or the other. Um, so what we're going to be doing today is looking at that and I've got a few links and things to share with you um, uh, before that and uh, we'll, at the end we'll have a, a, another little thought uh, as we go through the book of Romans, just thinking about what, how, what Romans has to say to us today and you know, linking that with what's going on in the world. Um, so there are just one or two uh, links that I wanted to mention. I mean, these are, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm just at uh, Phil Saker and the links down below in the description, um, then you, you'll, um, you'll see these things come up. But I know that Twitter, sometimes you, you miss things and what have you. So I just like to put it on the podcast to kind of um, draw your attention to things which I found worthwhile. Um, yesterday, there was an article in The Spectator written by, um, oh, who was it written by? Uh, Freddie Gray. A very interesting article talking about Roe versus Wade. Um, I think this happened just last week as I was recording the podcast. Um, so I don't think I mentioned it. Uh, but basically it's it's that, um, you know, the, the um, judiciary in America is, uh, there was a leaked document saying that they're likely to overturn Roe versus Wade. The, um, the judgment which said that everyone was entitled to an abortion and uh, that may basically made uh, abortion legal in every state in America and this was going to be overturned and basically put back to a democratic decision for each uh, state that was the point of it and anyway there's been an enormous backlash against this as you may imagine from the, um, the pro-choice sort of Twitter class and what's interesting is the way that, as Freddie Gray points out, it's actually been a very anti-Christian backlash. It's not just a, oh, this is a terrible thing, you know, removal of rights. It's A lot of it has been very targeted towards Christians. And um, this is what the article says, just to give you one short quote. The vehemence of the reaction to the Supreme Court leak, however, and the violent targeting of Christians as enemies of progress suggests that America's pro-abortion movement is not just for women's rights, it's against Christian ones. And I thought that was fascinating. You know, just, I feel like the reaction to it has kind of peeled back the window a little bit, or that's not quite the right word, is it? But, you know, open the blinds, if you like, on what's really happening. And it's not about women's rights, or not just about that as they see it, but it's actually against Christianity and against God. And I think that's what's happening across society, that, you know, so many of the things that are happening are not just, you know, not what they say they are, but they're actually underneath that, underneath, is a rage against God. And um, I think you can find that in, um, 
in what's happening with Roe versus Wade at the moment. It's that rage against God and which comes out in the, the rage against Christians. Um, so uh, you might like to have a look. I'll put the link down below if you'd like to have a little uh, look at that article. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, I've looked at the um, the vaccine uh, a few times lately. And um, I think the vaccine is one of these issues where it's kind of like almost dying down now because it's not such a big a big thing. But I, I still think it's worth... Uh, going into this because it's still an issue even if we're not talking about it as much now um but mark stein i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right mark stein mark stein mark stein he on from gb news did a show last week where he talked to a couple of people who had had their uh, husbands die from after taking the the vaccine in this case i believe it was the astrazeneca vaccine that they took and then um, again, there was another another example which I put on Twitter of um, a man whose father died um, eleven days after having the COVID vaccine. And these were people who were, you know, fit and healthy, who were in their, you know, thirties, forties, and fifties, who died after having the vaccine. Now, one of the things which really uh, struck me about that, firstly, is that they've had enormous difficulty just being recognised. It's like the government is simply not recognising the fact that these people even exist. They're not getting the support that they need. They're supposed to be a, a sort of compensation. That hasn't been forthcoming. All of that. And, you know, and this is the problem with the vaccine, you know, that it's almost like become this religious thing that it's safe and effective. And anything, any inconvenient facts like people dying after taking it, uh, are just brushed under the carpet and how how awful is that especially for the widows and for the, the people who are left who are trying as single mothers trying to raise children without their husband being around because of it or you know that kind of thing and, and this thing is this kind of thing is happening and this is the tip of the iceberg but this kind of thing is happening one of the, the people said that they were in a facebook group with 400 others trying to find some answers so this is not a small thing. And the second thing that I found really moving about this was a couple of them made mention of the fact that they, their husband or um, you know the person who died, they took the vaccine because, not because they were worried about getting COVID themselves, not because they were worried about the effect, but because they wanted to protect other people. That's the reason they took the vaccine, because they wanted to protect others. And that was the, very much the messaging at the time. You know, you take the vaccine to protect others. But there was absolutely no mention of the fact that there were any risks associated with the vaccine. It was the only thing that you were allowed to know was that it was safe and effective and that it was, um, you know, no no stories like this were, were told, really, that you know, for some people, it may be a small minority, maybe a very small minority. Nonetheless, for some people, it is deadly. And this kind of thing was just not on, on in the information which was being given out. And still the government are not recognising that this is actually happening. And you think this is not this is not asking people to make a heroic sacrifice. This is sacrificing people without their consent. If you are telling people that they need to take a vaccine to protect others, even if there is a very small risk of them dying, then 
you are killing people. And that's the problem there. I just feel like no one is is interested in actually looking at these people's stories. So I say no one, no one in government, no one in the media is really interested in taking on these people's stories, in really saying, you know, let's look into this, let's see what's really happening, let's be more open and honest about the risks and the benefits, about what it might be, and let people make an informed decision. So if you are more at risk of COVID, if you feel more at risk of COVID, you might be more prepared to take a vaccine, but if you're younger, healthier, then you may actually not be prepared to take that risk, especially for children. And I think this is, you know, they, they keep on being these statistics. You know, like I was reading an article on the Daily Skeptic a few days ago. Uh, the vaccinated are being hospitalised for non-COVID reasons at five times the rate of the unvaccinated UK government data show. Again, you know, this data keeps being explained away as, oh, well, it just it's obviously just, you know, referring to this, that and the other. Um, but it seems like there is something very, very worrying happening and no one is prepared to actually stand up and say, hold on a second. I think this is worrying. I think this needs to be looked into. Maybe let's pause the vaccines for people who are not at risk. You know, maybe let's stop and, and just take stock and see what's really going on here. But no, it's just explaining away, justifying. And, um, you know, there's there's so little actual trying to have compassion on people who have been hurt by the vaccines, acknowledging their existence and perhaps making people more aware of what the actual risks are at and the, the actual benefits are. Because we know now that it doesn't actually protect anyone else. Taking the vaccine doesn't protect others that pretty much it's, you know, you're still just as likely to catch COVID and to pass it on if you take the vaccine. If there is any benefit from it, it seems to be just a short window where it prevents you getting severe illness. Although I'm not even sure about that um, from the statistics. But anyway, we can get into that some other time. So, so this is the thing, you know, it's just this lack of, of truth. It's sort of the narrative over the truth and people are dying. And there are certainly people who have died who are, have had real difficulty getting their stories heard. And this is a travesty. This needs to change. So that's the thing, I think. It, although it feels like, you know, we are returning to normal. We are returning as a country to a bit more, I hope, a bit more sanity in some respects. That I think this, this particularly the vaccine and the effects of it needs to be looked into and I think those who have um, you know really done their best to, to suppress stories of people who've been vaccine injured and those who've done their best to to try and, and stop people actually getting the actual facts about the risks and the benefits of the vaccine of COVID and so on balancing it all uh, I think I, I hope will be held to account and that's really what I'm calling for here is just an, an open and honest discussion about all of these things uh, rather than trying to brush all of this under the carpet. So that's those are my thoughts um, today. Uh, let's move on now to think about uh, the next part of the Building a Christian Worldview series.
So today on Sacred Musings we're going to look at the next part of the Building a Christian Worldview series. We're thinking about the fall which is the origin of evil. This is where evil first came into the world and we're going to be thinking a bit more about good and evil, how we define that in um, just a, a bit later on. But just to remind you of where we are to locate this in the kind of the bigger picture. Uh, the Christian worldview we saw and in the overview, you can go back and look at that if you missed it, um, you can define this in four steps, the Christian worldview. So there's the creation, we looked at that last week, uh, there's the fall, there's redemption, and then there's the consummation. So all of those four steps we're going to look at in turn, and today we are thinking about the fall. Before we get into looking at that, I just want to have a little word about uh, science, um, because this is, uh, I think for some people it's a bigger issue than for others, but for some of you it may be an issue. You know, As we look at the um, Genesis chapter 3, as we look at the, the story of the fall, you might think, hold on, a, a talking snake? You now that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Something like that. And what I want to say is that Genesis was not written as a scientific textbook. You know, I think we, uh, 21st century Westerners, try and impose our own sort of scientific way of looking at the world on things. But really, that's not how Genesis was intended to be read. I think the genius of Genesis, uh, particularly these early chapters, is communicating really deep and profound truth in a way which we can understand. I mean, even a child can understand this, certainly at some level. Um, now, it's not a story for children. You know, there are really, there are things which we adults, and there are still many things which I can learn from this. Um, but the point is that it's not meant to be, I think the word literal gets overused when talking about the Bible and particularly when talking about creation. And if, if I was, if it was up to me, I would ban the word literal from um, talking about this kind of thing. I think it's unhelpful. And I think, you know, the, the point is it's true. You know, and, and even if the story is not meant to be, you know, literal in the way that we would use that word now, that doesn't mean that it's not true. That's my position on this. And I apologise if you're someone who, who believes in sort of six um, literal uh, days or, or, or whatever. Or, you know, I, I try to kind of, um, you know, just take actually what I believe Genesis is communicating. If you'd like more information about where I come come down in this and how we try and put science and, and um, Genesis together. Then I did a talk at church with the vicar of our church. Um, it was actually pre-lockdown, uh, uh, I think back in 2018 maybe, 2019 possibly. And that the recording of that, the audio recording, is available on my website. And I'll put the link to that down below uh, in the description or in the show notes if you're interested. Um, so there are two parts to that and just sort of looking more about Genesis and how they kind of fit together. So that's just, a, I thought that was just an important note to say before we get going. So what I want to do today is read through Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to look at it in three parts and then we're just going to think about each part and what it says to us about evil and and what we call sin. Um, so the first part then is Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 and um, by the way I'm, I'm going over this passage in quite some detail just because there's so much that you could say about it but I think this is the the fundamental passage to understand if you want to understand the human condition that there is no more important 
chapter in the Bible than Genesis chapter 3. There may be equally important chapters, you know, but I don't think this is right up there. You know, you have to understand this if you want to understand the Christian worldview. So Genesis chapter 3, I'll read verses 1 to 6 um, and then we'll think about it. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Okay, so this is the story of how sin and evil enter the world. And um, they, it's this story about the, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, taking fruit, which they shouldn't have. And God had warned them about this, by the way, back in chapter 2, verse 17, God says, you may, uh, uh, you may, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God gives them the garden to... Um, uh, to to eat from in any tree in the garden apart from one uh, but he says if you eat from this tree you will certainly die and the snake then in chapter three the snake which we later find out is satan the snake deceives eve and says no you won't certainly die did god really say so it's not outright deception lies it's more a series of highly suggestive half-truths that's um, that's what's so interesting about it and we can go on about that for ages um, so the snake causes uh, them to doubt God's goodness and to doubt God's word he says did God really say God knows when you eat from it your eyes will be opened so what the snake is tempting them is by saying God doesn't have your best interests at heart God's not really good God just wants to hold you back. That's really what the snake is saying. Don't trust him. He wants to hold you back. You'll do better on your own. And that's exactly what happens. It says uh, there in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. It's like a parody of chapter 1. Do you remember last week we were thinking about this, how God made, created, and then saw that it was good and God saw that it was good here the woman sees that uh, the fruit that God had forbidden was good she sees that it's good it's not something that God gives us good but she decides that it's good for herself and this is the the root of sin the root of evil which is human beings mankind turning away from God and deciding that we ourselves can can decide for ourselves what is right and good without him that we decide what's right and good apart from god without him 
so that's um, the first the first part and there's so much more that we could say about this um, if you'd like a slightly more in-depth ex explanation then I did a what is Christianity course on my other channel and understand the Bible you might be interested in that we look at creation we look at the fall as well as um, the sort of this is just a general overview of the Bible really we're doing that here but very 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 briefly only in, in four parts Okay, so um, what are the consequences of sin? This is the next part. Let's read uh, the next part of the chapter, which is verses 7 to 13. And just to let you know, by the way, I'm reading from the New International Version, the NIV of the Bible. You can, if you want to follow along, you can use your own Bible or look it up on, go on to biblegateway.com um, or use an app on your phone or device whatever you like um, it doesn't matter if it's not the same version of the bible use something which is comfortable and understandable to you but i find the niv sort of a balance between readable and accurate um, so uh, yeah verses 7 to 13 then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves then the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me and I ate. Okay, so this this little section starts out with, as it says in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now that's actually what the snake promised, isn't it? You know, that's what the snake says, that um, uh, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The eyes of both of them were open, but it wasn't actually really what they thought it was going to be it was actually a deception it turned out to be yes it was the truth but actually it was a terrible thing it was a bad thing for them and they realized that they were naked that's when shame comes in that they realize the potential for evil they realize that they uh, they have thoughts perhaps which they shouldn't have they realize that they're not perfect and good and and so they feel shame and they want to cover themselves up. And um, and they hide from God even. It says they hide among the trees. So whereas the trees have been you know, made for, for beauty, made for food, they hide among the trees. And it's that relationship between God and man which is now broken. That's the fundamental thing, that the relationship between God and man is now broken. Sin is parasitic on our desires that the problem is with it that we want the wrong things or we perhaps want the right things but in the wrong way that is without god so for example we want um uh, 
we want nice things of course you know but that can cause us to steal or that can cause us to trample over other people in our desire to get right things and without actually asking god for the things that we want that's that's the way it works now with sin sin is deceptive now it promises fulfillment but it delivers destruction and it breaks our relationship with god that's that's at its heart this is what john stott said about sin in a uh, it's a famous book that he wrote called the cross of christ it's a fantastic book if you want to understand the cross and uh, that which is the heart of christianity and it's well worth reading for anyone um but this is what he said about sin sin is not a regrettable lapse from conventional standards its essence is hostility to god sin's essence is hostility to god and that is the nub of the matter that sin and evil are defined in relation to god they are a relational thing which break our relationship with god as well as with each other and that's something that we'll come back to in just a moment so let's move on to the final part of the chapter this is verses 14 to 24 as we think more about the consequences of sin what happens after that well this is from verse 14 so the lord god said to the snake because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel to the woman he said i will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor you will give birth to children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you to adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which i commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return adam named his wife eve because she would become the mother of all the living the lord god made garments of skin for adam and his wife and clothed them and the lord god said the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever so the lord god banished him from the garden of eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove the man out he placed on the east side of the garden of eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life okay there's a lot there but this is in summary this is god cursing the the snake and the woman and the man for what they've done it's a punishment so it's not just you know sin is not just something which carries its own effects but it actually incurs punishment from god as well and it affects everything so it affects the relationship between the man and the woman as you saw you know your desire will be for your husband he'll rule over you uh, it affects the natural world it talked about producing thorns and thistles by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food um, it affects the uh, childbearing I'll, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe and even today many women die in childbirth and uh, it says um, 
our work as well, you know, by the sweat of your brow, as I've already mentioned. So every aspect of life, every aspect of the universe is touched by sin and evil now because it, we are living under God's curse. That's the fundamental problem of the world now. And the ultimate punishment for sin is death. As God says, from dust uh, you are, uh, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Famous words which are used, may be familiar to us from the, uh, the funeral service. But this is uh, God's punishment for sin. It is death. And this is what it says later on in the Bible, in the book of Romans. I know I've been looking through it. But just talking about how it affects, the fall affects everything. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjective to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So all of creation was subject to frustration. Everything is touched by sin and evil, and that is the problem of the world in a nutshell that sin and evil exist in mankind and so therefore the universe is under the curse of god that's the problem so what are the consequences then of sin let's think about the consequences of sin for us what does it mean for us today as it says in the bible this is ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 indeed there is no one on earth who is righteous no one who does what is right and never sins so not one single person on the earth and not one single person has ever lived apart from one that's jesus who has never sinned that every single one of us is under that same curse of sin it's um, what we call original sin, that sin entered our race um, with Adam and Eve and has descended ever since then, that sin is just part of our, our nature. Um, and we'll look more at that, about the solution to that next week. But let's just uh, hold on to that for a second. And also in Genesis, it says, Genesis 6 verse 5, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So that our hearts turned to, to think evil thoughts, if you like. Now, let me just explain what that means, because I think this is something we find difficult to understand, because most people think about evil as being something particularly bad. You know, like Hitler was an evil man because he was particularly bad. But we don't think of ourselves as evil because, you know, we're basically, yeah, we may do a few wrong things now and then, but we're not really evil. But that actually is not what the Bible, how the Bible talks about evil. Evil is actually falling away from God's good standards. And let me just quote you a couple of things that Jesus says to demonstrate that. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. That's what Jesus said. 
So good is only to be applied to God. We can't say, I can't say I am a good person, actually, not properly, because I know that uh, only God is good. Second thing that Jesus said, uh, he says, if you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So Jesus said that our uh, we are evil and that um, he, he says elsewhere, John chapter seven, verse seven, I testify that the, the world is, is evil. Its deeds are evil. Again, he didn't mean that we are as bad as we can possibly be. He just meant that none of us is is free of corruption from sin, that it's something which which affects all of us. We are all corrupted by sin and we have all turned away in rebellion against God and are under his curse of death. That's the message here, that we all are under the curse of sin and death. And that's just what it means to be evil. So, so that means that evil and sin, that is our fundamental problem, your and my fundamental problem. And so we need to acknowledge that and recognise that. So what are the implications of this? Well, let's think about the implications for us as individuals before we look a bit more widely. Um, so we are we are made good, but we are fallen. Now, this explains why we as human beings are capable of great good, but also capable of great evil. And this explains why in our own lives, it's such a battle sometimes, you know, the tussle between doing what's right, what we know is right, and doing what we know is wrong. It's such, there's such a battle in us. That's why we're tempted to do the wrong so often. Um, it also means that we're in the same boat, that everyone is in the same boat. And that means that we shouldn't demonise anyone or any particular group of people. This is what Solzhenitsyn said. I, I believe Solzhenitsyn was not a Christian, but I think he was very insightful on this. And this is what he said. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The line between good and evil passes through every human heart. So unlike today's debates where it seems like if you're some people think if you're woke, you're good. And if you're not, then you're a bad person. Or if you vote Labour, you're good. Or if you vote Conservative, whatever. You know, we, we can't do that. We can't demonise any group of people for how they vote, for their opinions, for their preferences. Because we are all in the same boat. We are all sinful and evil before God. That is a, a, a very levelling thing for, for every one of us. And sin is, as we saw, it's including uh, how we relate to God and fundamentally, in fact, how we relate to God, not simply to other people. So we have to think about it in those terms, in that that vertical dimension, rather than thinking about sin only in terms of what we do to others or what we don't do to others sometimes. You know, so we need to think about it in those terms. And I think a lot of people ignore that aspect of it and think about sin only in terms of the how we relate to other people. But that's missing a big dimension of sin, according to the Bible. So what does the what are the implications of this more widely for thinking about good and evil? Well, it's important to say that good and evil can't be defined without God. Otherwise, they're just meaningless concepts. 
So if God does not exist, then good and evil do not exist either. There just is. And this is something I think a lot of atheists struggle to to understand because we as human beings, we do have this inbuilt concept of good and evil. And it, it people can't, I think a lot of atheists can't account for the fact that we have an inbuilt sense of good and evil, uh, which is beyond simply what, you know, perhaps evolution might have given uh, or whatever socialization or, or anything like that you know but we actually think some things are really right and wrong all of that is actually uh, meaningless unless god exists and unless god himself defines what is good because god is good himself he is love himself he defines what is good and therefore what is good for us actually becomes meaningful you know, we can define what is good and right in relation to him and, and therefore what is evil as well. Um, this is what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. And again, this is a book which, if you haven't read it, I think is well worth reading. It's um, based on lectures he gave during the Second World War uh, on the radio. And then he turned them into this book. And it's a classic. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's an older book, but... I think old books are actually sometimes the best books to read. Um, I think these days we tend to just want to read the new stuff. But old books are, you know, often really good. And um, especially if they're classics, they've stood the test of time, as this book has. So this is what he said in Mere Christianity. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such a violent reaction against it? So what C.S. Lewis says there, famous words this, but a man cannot call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line think about that with God that unless God is there to give us that idea of a straight line or that idea of good we have no basis for saying anything is evil in society so we need God uh, to define what good is so we can understand what evil is okay the final thing then that we I wanted to, to talk about is what are the implications of this teaching for society well, a lot of um, theories have tried to explain the problems in the world. And if you look round, maybe just try this as a bit of an exercise, is look at the newspapers, look at books, look at what people are saying. You just think behind what you're saying, what are you saying is the real problem in society? What's the fundamental thing? So people have, have proposed lots of different ideas. You know, there's a lack of education. The problem in the world, people do wrong things because they're not educated enough. Uh, social inequality, that people don't have enough money, so they have to steal and you know turn to drugs or whatever. Um, lack of opportunity, so they don't have the opportunities to advance. Or there are just a few bad apples in society. Now, all of those things have some merit to them, um, but... 
the, the point here is that the kind of society you create will depend upon what you think is wrong with society. That's the, the, the point, the big point. If you don't diagnose the problem correctly, then you will end up with the wrong solution and with the wrong kind of society. So you might treat some of the symptoms, but not the actual cause and things won't improve. So to give you an example, if you think that it's the lack of education that's the problem in society, then if you, you could focus all of your money and time on education, but actually you, you'll end up with uh, people who are highly educated doing just as bad things. That's, that's how it works, because education, it turns out, does not solve all the problems in society. It may solve some of them, but certainly it won't get to the heart of the issue. So that's the implication for society. So why are we so wrong at the moment? What in our society is the problem here, given what we've just heard? I think the big problem is that, you know, this um, this attitude, I know we've talked about this before on the Sacred Musings podcast, is there's a government solution for that. You know that um, Apple have got this slogan, or used to have this slogan, there's an app for that. You might remember the adverts. Well, I think a lot of British people, and perhaps Western Westerners in general, have come to this, this kind of instinctive reaction that, you know, as soon as there's a problem, ah, there's a government solution for that. So if there's a pandemic, then the solution is therefore lockdowns and vaccines and more state control. Or climate change if the climate's changing the solution is government subsidies and restrictions and more state control if there's inequality in society the solution is quotas and legislation wealth redistribution more state control what lies behind that attitude and all of that is the idea that we are really just cattle to be herded or machines to be programmed all we need is one way or the other for the state to step in and to reprogram us to do what is right and to fix the problems. And what it does is it strips us of dignity as human beings and strips us of our human rights because it, it just sees us as cattle or sheep or whatever, robots. We just need to be reprogrammed and retrained. That's the fundamental problem. I think we have misdiagnosed the problem in society, actually, that the real problem is sin. And that can only be defined in relation to God. And as we've forgotten God, we've had to put in other solutions which are maybe have some merit to them, but actually don't get to the heart of the issue. If you'd like some recommended reading, I've already mentioned a couple of things, but if you'd like something to, to read, an essay I can recommend is The Humanitarian Theory of Punishment by C.S. Lewis. I think that, that essay, although it's, it's not specifically about this, talks about, uh, how, in the context of punishment and prison, how um, actually, you know, the what was the humanitarian theory of punishment while he was writing actually diminishes human beings. And I think much of what he says is actually applicable uh, to what we're looking at here. Unless you see human beings as morally culpable beings and morally responsible beings, then you will actually, uh, it will be an abuse of humanity. And that's what has ended up happening, I believe. So um, 
with all of that said, that's the end of this section now on the, on the building a Christian worldview. If you're listening to this as part of the podcast, then the podcast will continue after this. If you're listening to this on standalone, uh, the standalone episode on YouTube, then I'll see you again soon for the next session. Now let's move on now finally to think about uh, our Bible passage from Romans that we've been looking through. Uh, this is the end of Romans chapter 1 and um, it's just a couple of paragraphs here. But just to put this into context, the passage begins uh, because of this and the because of refers to what we were looking at last time which is how uh, mankind turned away from God and exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So that's what it's it's referring to. So let's look at it. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 32. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Okay, I think these are some of the hardest words in the Bible for us to hear. But they are so important to hear because this really diagnoses the condition of mankind. In fact, as we were looking at in the Building a Christian Worldview um, section, this is at the heart of the problem. So because we as, as mankind turned away from God, as it says, because of this, that we turned away from God, God gave them over. It says God gave them over to shameful lusts. So it's even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones and similarly with men um, it's you know becoming inflamed with attraction for one another rather than for the opposite sex now this is um, I think something which is in contemporary debates obviously this is one of those passages which is highly offensive but I think it it actually shows the wisdom of God that it, it is decreation isn't it you know, that what is the most natural thing, perhaps one of the most natural things in the world, is the relationship of a man and a woman. You might think that is one of the most obvious, normal, natural, kind of beautiful things in the world. It's If you were looking at the world as a perhaps a visitor from an alien planet, you would see our, you know, our sexual um, binary, if you like, there's male and there's female, is the most one of the most obvious things about us, probably the most obvious thing about us. And so the rejection of that is a, 
almost like a rejection of creation itself. And that's exactly what's happened. I think it's fascinating how we've seen these words playing out in our society over the last 20, 30 years or, or more. How it's become this re um, rejection of male and female. Firstly, there came the rejection of the, the natural relationship, marriage between a man and a woman. And now it's got to the point where it's almost like certain sections of society are denying that there is such a thing as a man and a woman. Although we are very conflicted about that, as um, Kevin DeYoung's article, I, I read that at the beginning of the podcast last week, which is really helpful in, in, in showing how conflicted we are. But, you know, it's almost like there's no male and female anymore. It's this kind of complete rejection of our nature, of our, of our humanity as man and woman. And so it says um, that's, that's, a, that's because we've turned away from God. We've rejected him and we've re rejected him as creator. We've rejected the way that he's made us. So it says, furthermore, just as they, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. And, and this is the thing that the fear of the Lord, as it says elsewhere, is the beginning of wisdom. That when we know God and, and sort of appropriately respect, reverence him, then that kind of constrains our behaviour. That leads us to do what's right and good. But when we, uh, when we forget God, when we ignore him, then it says anything is possible. I think this may have been um, a quote by Dostoevsky. If God is dead, anything is permissible. And that is that is the truth, isn't it? You know, as soon as you forget God, then any of these things that Paul goes on to mention are permissible. And um, it, it made me think, actually, this last bit, although they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I think that's the, um, the, the root cause of the backlash against Roe versus Wade, as we saw in the beginning. Now, why is it that people are so up in arms about their, what they perceive as their right to, to kill the unborn? It's because they know it's wrong. I think it's an example of me thinks he doth protest too much. It's because they know it's wrong. And and yet they it's it's sticking a finger up at God or sticking two fingers up at God. You know, that's why they're so up in arms about it, because they want to have their way. They want to stick a finger up at God. They don't want him. They're God haters and they want their way rather than God's way, even if it means killing the unborn just so we can have our sexual freedom. It's a terrible place to be. And I think this this passage here really describes our society today in um you know I, and i i never thought it would sort of come to this really when i was younger but actually this is this is where we are isn't it you know you look at you look at the list and you can see people who are insolent and arrogant and boastful who think that they can create everything who think that they can you know we can control a virus who think that we can uh, use technology to solve every pandemic and every problem who see no need to have God involved at all who just think we are the measurer mankind is the measure of all things that's the height of arrogance 
And that is godlessness. And that is where we are as a society. And is it any wonder at all that we are where we are? We are looking out at society, at Romans 1 in action. It's exactly what is happening. And if we don't change soon, then I think God will will judge us and God will wipe out. Uh, It will be the end of Western civilization. It's happened before. Western civilization, not Western civilization, but other civilizations have come to an end. Um, I hope that that's not the case and that things will change again. But nonetheless, it's a warning for us. And um, yeah, I think seeing that seeing it in action should be a very sobering thing for us and should cause us to to come to God and to pray to him. And on that note, as we finish the podcast today, let's do just that and take this to God and just pray and cry out that God would bring a change and that God will bring people to their senses so that we do as a, a country and, and as a Western world just cry out to him once again in the way that uh, perhaps we did uh, once before. So let's pray and we'll pray about the, these uh, other things as well. And so Heavenly Father, we, as we look at this, uh, this book of Romans, Lord, particularly this first chapter, um, I know for, for myself, I'm just so struck that this is exactly what is happening in our world today, in our country today. And we do just cry out to you that you would bring a real change, that you would cause people to see uh, the need of you. You would cause people to see that uh, it is only uh, you who are the the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we pray, Lord, that many people in government and in the media and as well as up and down the land in every every kind of um, background and every place uh, would have a fear of the Lord and that uh, you would bring a real change in the way in our morals in what we do and uh, that you would cause us to do what is right and good rather than what is evil and we pray that you would help us as individuals just to know that our greatest problem is actually our turning away from you, our sinfulness. And we pray that you would help us to seek your solution for that in Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would be with each one of us now and I pray for your blessing and your help and the strength for today and for each day over this coming week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. You can join in the chat if you have any any comments, any thoughts. I'd love to hear them. You can join in on YouTube. You can join in on Telegram. The links are down below. Um, and you could also email sacredmusingspod at gmail.com if you'd like to as well. Um, so thanks so much, everyone, for joining me. You can um, support me if you'd, uh, you can donate uh, likes. Uh, you click the like button. And if you're not subscribed on YouTube, uh, sorry, the likes are on YouTube, if you're on the podcast, you can leave me a rating. You can leave me a review. I would appreciate that if you, you get a moment. It just helps other people to, to discover the podcast. And um, you can support me in a financial way. There's a buy me a coffee link. And I just appreciate all of those things. Um, I am basically sort of a freelancer. So, um, yeah, it's it's really appreciated in every respect. So thanks so much for joining me. And I hope to see you again for the next one next week. But in the meantime, God bless.